0: Hello people of the way. Um some church announcements. Now there's not, not really any church announcements. I just uh, miss saying that. It's been some time. So uh I guess if there's a church announcement it's that uh, we love you guys and uh we miss uh we miss the body. Um uh, Young and old, little ones and the big ones. So um you know it's kind of interesting the the uh the days that we're living in you know just uh things are are, are coming about you know and it's kind of um, it's not really frightening you know for for those who don't know Christ it's frightening it can be frightening uh but you know to be in Christ it's so beautiful because he is our strong tower you know we run into him and uh some uh, uh crazy crazy days are ahead and uh just uh Abide in Christ. You know, when the, when the Lord says abide in me, it's not a period. It's not abide in me period. He says abide in me and I in you. You know, it's for you, it's for me to take a back seat in our relationship with the Lord, to take a back seat and allow Him to do a work in our lives inside of these temples. Allow Him to do the work, and it's so beautiful what comes about. Uh, but you know, in continuation of our study through the Old Testament, turn with me to Leviticus, Leviticus chapter two in Leviticus chapter 2, you know, a, a kind of a, a little precursor to chapter 2. One thing I have to say about the book of Leviticus and not just Leviticus but the legal books, the law books. There's a lot of sacrifice, there's a lot of blood, a lot of blood, animal sacrifice, even wars that we're going to see in, you know, future wars, there's just a lot of blood. But in particular when it comes to animal sacrifice, You know, there is a lot of sacrifice, but then at the same time, you have to look at us today. Look at the sin that is around us today. You know, there's a lot of sacrifice in the Old Testament. It just means there's a lot of sin. And it's the same thing as today, you know, where where you see sin abounds. It's all over the place. You don't have to, you could be anywhere. I mean, as innocent as watching a movie. And then all of a sudden, boom, something pops up. And you're like, man, I'm never going to watch this again. Or I'm not going to watch this series again. Or who's the director? I'm not going to watch any of his movies again. You know, and it blows me away, the culture that we're in. You could be driving down the street, minding your own business, and then boom, hits you right in the face. You know, and it's like, wow, what in the world? What kind of world are we living in? And it reminds me of the Old Testament days. You know, it's just like there's sin everywhere. But praise be to the Lord because the Bible teaches us that where sin abounds, grace aboundeth much more. You know, the harvest is plentiful. And so we're in Leviticus. A lot has happened with Israel. A lot has happened. Moses and the people, Aaron, his sons. And you see, I mean, there's even among the people, there was still death. Because remember, Moses came down from the mountain. Some people had beef and he says, okay, whoever's on God's side, come stand over here with me. And, you know, if you want to be against me, then you're against the Lord. And then some people had to die. It's not to say like, you know, to speak loosely about death. But, you know, it's to speak highly about aligning oneself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, it's not there's totality to one's choices. You might, you know, be in a position where you're like, well, there's no totality to my choices. I sinned today, I sinned tomorrow, I sinned last week, I sinned last year. Everything's fine and dandy. Well, praise be to the Lord. Because, you know what, He's long-suffering and He hasn't come, He hasn't, you know, done anything major in your life in terms of uh, judgment. But that's not to say that it's not coming. You know, praise be to the Lord because it's like, okay, not that you got away with the sin, But that, you know, His grace was, I mean, you're kind of basking in God's grace. Don't take advantage of that grace. It's to say, hey, you know, you think you're going to get away with this forever? You can live this lifestyle? You think you're going to get away with it forever? Because you're not. And once somebody comes to realize, the realization of like, oh man, I'm in trouble. It's not to say, okay, you're in trouble. You're going to burn in hell. It's to say, you're in trouble just like I was in trouble. And you need blood to atone for your sin. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. And let me tell you, you hear Christians speak Christianese and they say, washed by the blood of the Lamb. Let me tell you more about this washing. It washes away our sin. This filth, this muck, it gets washed away. And after the washing, you're white as snow. That's what's so beautiful about a love relationship with Jesus Christ. Abiding in Him. And he in us. And so a lot has happened in Leviticus. I mean, just the fact that we're here in Leviticus, look what happened with Israel. They're no longer in Egypt. But turn with me really quick to chapter 8 of the book of Exodus. A little refresher course. Chapter 8 in the book of Leviticus in verse 25. Verse 25. It says, then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God in the land. What really, really blows me away is that, you know, in Leviticus, we're talking, and it's going to get heavy, it's going to get hardcore. We're talking about animal sacrifice. And, you know, it's interesting to remember that in chapter 25, or in uh, uh, verse 25 of Exodus 8, remember what Pharaoh said. He said, go sacrifice to your God in the land. He's saying, you know, go ahead and do your thing with the Lord, but on my terms. You don't have to go to the wilderness. You do it right here in Egypt. I think it's very interesting because it reminds me of Satan. When you look at Pharaoh as a type of Satan, where he'll say, okay, go ahead, go to church, do your church thing on Sunday. But Sunday night, You're right back with me, buddy. You know, we're going to be doing crack together. We're going to be doing the pornography together. We're going to be doing all kinds of crazy things together. It reminds me a lot about Satan and his lies from the pit of hell. You know, go ahead and worship your God. Go ahead and do it on a Wednesday. Go ahead and listen to a podcast. You know, oh, what's that? It's more than an hour long. Eh, that's okay. We'll be doing crack together later tonight. You know, you have needles in your arm. We'll be cooking spoons together. Oh, what's that, Chiapas, Mexico? Oh, yeah, it's the finest stuff you'll ever have. And it really blows me away because look at Pharaoh, what he says here. Remember Israel? They're in Egypt. And he says, go and sacrifice to your God in the land. But then Moses said in verse 26, It is not right to do so. I think this is so powerful because, you know, on biblical principle alone, to say, hey, Pharaoh, this isn't right. For we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Is to say, you know what we don't want? We don't want to partake of your stuff. And we don't want to take that stuff and give it to the Lord and sacrifice to the Lord. I'll give you an example of what that looks like today. Gambling money. You know, to to give an offering to the Lord from gambling money. To say like, okay, yeah, you know what? I'm going to take my rent payment. I'm going to take my mortgage payment. And I'm going to pray so hard. You know, I'm going to pray to Buddha. I'm going to pray to Jesus. I'll pray to the Virgin Mary. I'll pray to whoever. Because I really want my winnings. And if I get my winnings, I'll even tithe 10%. I'll be hardcore. I'll do 20% and give it to the Lord. But who is the one that says, hey, you know what? That's not right. It is not right to do so. Or what about robbery? To commit a crime. To steal money out of somebody's wallet. To steal from somebody's purse. And say, oh, yeah, I'm just going to go out to dinner, but you know what? I'm going to feed the homeless. I'll be like Robin Hood. You know that, that Robin Hood mentality, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's not, you know, it it, it more blessed it is to uh, uh to give than it is to receive. Jesus Christ didn't say, you know, it's more blessed to take. He didn't say, I'm gonna take from you and give it to this person. No, to take that, to be like Barnabas in our know, study in the book of Acts. Willfully. He gave of his proceeds and he gave it to the church and laid it at the disciples feet it was willingly it wasn't taken from him that Robin Hood mentality it's a lie from the pit of hell you know I've seen the Disney cartoon too I kind of like it you know but then at the same time you look at the Bible and you say like wow what does the Bible have to say about this that Robin Hood mentality it's a lie. Drug money is another example. Selling crack on the street corner. It's like, wow, look at all this money I can get. I can make $1,000 in 10 minutes. You know, peddling drug money. Oh, I'll give, you know, I'll I'll give 500 bucks to the church. I'll put in a full day's work, make $10,000, piece of cake, give $3,000 to the church. Would you like that, pastor? No way, buddy. That's dirty money. That's dirty money. Burn it. Get rid of it. You know, I think I can speak even deeper about more dirty money, but you get my drift. It's very interesting the proposition that Satan makes to Christians, to believers. Promising all these things. Remember, Israel in this particular moment in Exodus 8, they're in bondage. They're straight up slaves. And imagine Moses and Aaron hearing Pharaoh say, you know what, go ahead and sacrifice to your God. It's okay. You know, anybody else, they'd be like, oh, wow, all right, we can do it. Cool, good to go. But Moses and Aaron, they were like, no way. This is not right. We're going to worship the Lord, and we're going to sacrifice to Him But you know what? It's on His terms. Under uh, under His instructions. Not you, oh man. Not you, Pharaoh. You see how the Lord works? It's very interesting, you know. I I, I, kind of wonder if the Lord likes the wilderness. Remember, the wilderness can be a good place, it can be a bad place say, I don't get it. What do you mean? Well, the wilderness, look at what happened with Jesus Christ when he was tried by Satan. Look at what happened with Moses in the wilderness. Look at Elijah. Look at John the Baptist. A lot of beautiful things happened in the wilderness. But some terrible things happened in the wilderness too. It's that interesting balance of, you know, where where do you fall in? Sometimes people tell me, hey, yeah, I feel like I'm in the wilderness. Well, What's going on in your life? And then they talk to me and they say, what do you think? I say, okay, well, uh, you need to repent. That's not a good place to be. You're in the wilderness, but it's a bad wilderness. Or, you know, people talk, say this. Tell me your story. What's up? They say, they, you know, this, that, this, that. It's like, wow, you know, praise be to the Lord. Let me pray with you, brother. Let me pray with you, sister. Because you know what? Yeah, you're in the wilderness, but you know what happens in the wilderness? Refining. Refinement through fire You're in the good wilderness You know in your walk with the Lord Never do it on the terms of man Never do it on the terms of Satan Always do it on the terms of the Lord Don't make any compromises So many people compromise So many people compromise You know it's like Oh yeah I'll I'll go go ahead and you know Maybe I'll go to the uh, casino I'll go to the casino, you know. Yeah, I, I know I'm short of funds, but you know I put my hope in the in the tables, you know, playing blackjack. Stupid. Put your hope in the Lord, and let Him bless you. Let Him bless the work of your hand and the steps of your feet, and He will bless. He will bless as surely as He lives. He does bless. You know, you can look at the stock market, you can look at the global economy, you could look at the localized economy. And yet, who cares about that? The Lord blesses, despite all that. So, follow the Lord on His terms, on in accordance with His Word. It's very interesting where we're at in Leviticus, how far Israel has come. And even when Pharaoh here in Exodus chapter 8 says, yeah, go ahead and sacrifice to your God. No, 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 no. It's on God's terms, Pharaoh. And so turn with me to Exodus chapter 10, a couple chapters later. In Exodus 10 something else happens. Then Pharaoh in verse 24, then Pharaoh called to Moses and said, "Go serve your Lord. Go serve the Lord. Only let your flocks and your herds be kept back. Let your little ones also go with you." You know, he all, you know what Pharaoh's doing just like Satan he tries to say yeah go ahead and go ahead and go you're in captivity you're my slaves but go ahead and go on my terms don't take your animals don't take your herds go ahead take your little ones no 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 it doesn't work that way look at verse 25 but Moses said you must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. You need, I love Moses so much because he's obedient. Obedient to the Lord. Even when like, I mean, Pharaoh could have just, I mean, to speak like the, Moses did to Pharaoh. That's hardcore stuff. That's what I love so much about the disciples who are now apostles and are studying the book of Acts. These are some hardcore guys. And I love it so much. It's like, man, I want to be surrounded by men like this. Like Peter, like Stephen, like Philip, Paul. You read the Bibles like Moses. Man, I want to be like men like this. You know, not the, you know, the betas you see on TV. I don't want to be bold like this. And then, you know, even the women, you know, not to get all macho and everything, but what about the beautiful women of the Word of God? It's like, wow, look at this lady's faith. Look at the faith of Hannah. Look at the beauty and faith and devotion of Mary. You see, it's like, whoa, this is so cool how the Word teaches us all these things. And then at the same time, when Moses, you know, uh, Pharaoh tries to get Moses to compromise. And then Moses says in verse 26, our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind, for we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Look at the faith of Moses. They don't know what the Lord's, you know, he doesn't know what the Lord is going to say. Now we're in Leviticus, you know, the, the, the mountain experience, you know, that's in the history books now in our studies. The mountain one and mountain two. You know, if, if you're listening and you don't know what I'm talking about, you know, go through, but go through and listen to our study through the book of Exodus. It might take you a while. <laughs> But you know, Moses went up to the mountain the first time and he came down the, He came down, and then he goes up a second time again. And so now he's actually with the tabernacle is built and now he's getting instruction from the Lord about sacrifices in, in Leviticus 2. But here in, in Exodus 10, Moses is straight up saying, we don't even know. You know, we're going to take the animals, but we don't even know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. And for such a time as this, now the Lord is giving instruction about the animals. You know, we're going to take a little pause from the animals and we're going to look at the grain offering. But you know, something, you know, go back to Leviticus now, Leviticus chapter 2. Very interesting how far we've come thus far. But look at your own walk. I don't want to make it seem like we drive forward in a car with our eyes stuck in the rearview mirror. But every now and then, even when you're driving, you have to look in this rearview mirror just to say, wow, you know, look how far you've come. Look how far you've come in the Lord. You know, if you're in a situation where you're like, man, you know, you say, look how far I've come. But I say, look how far I've fallen. I used to walk with the Lord, but I don't walk with him anymore. You know what I say? Repent. Repent, deny that lifestyle, deny whatever it is that's keeping you away from the Lord. Get rid of it. If it's drugs, sex, rock and roll, alcohol, the whole nine yards, get rid of it. You say, oh, I want to clean up my life and then I'll come to the Lord. No, you're doing it wrong. Come to the Lord and He'll clean your life. You repent before the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And then study the Word of God. Read the Word of God. I'll even throw this in, you know, hold my hand. Because I often say, you know, we're not in a, you know, a huge church fellowship. It's all, you know, uh, remote now because of the coronavirus. But it's like, you know, I always tell the church body, you know, we're going to Zion. Yeah, there's a rapture. But, you know, after the rapture, there's a millennial reign, a thousand years. And then we're going to see Zion come down. And I would always say from time to time, we're going to Zion. That's our destination. So hold my hand, let's go. Repent first, and let's go, you know. And we'll grow together. We'll matriculate and grow, you know, first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth university. And we'll never stop growing. We'll never stop learning. So if you're in a situation where you're like, man, you know, you talk about the rearview mirror, but I'm in the pits. Repent. That's what's so cool about being in the pit, you know. you can, The only way you can look is up. That's the only way you can look. The only source of light is above you. And praise be to the Lord. And so in our study in Leviticus chapter 2, i got to say, this is going to be a little bit hardcore. A little bit hard. Actually, all our study in Leviticus is going to be hardcore. Because I'm not an advocate of the law. I am not an advocate of the law. But what I am an advocate advocate for is Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God. The fulfillment of the law. Remember, he's the one who says, I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law and the prophets. And so in Leviticus, we're kind of looking at piecemeal derivatives of something greater. And when I say something greater, I'm speaking about the feasts, the feasts. I'll give you an example. If you've ever had like a a fine meal, like a five course meal, you know, you see like these little tiny portions but what you have to understand is that there's, you know, five plates that are going to come. So you have like a little tiny appetizer and a little tiny, you know, second course, little tiny third course, little tiny main course. And then like a pre-dessert and then the dessert, you know. But they're like little tiny, but there's so much of it. it is like you're going to be full by the end. And your palate is going to be like just blown away completely because you're going to have all kinds of different flavors. That's when you see the artistry of the chef. And so what blows me away about, you know, uh, these this, the, these aspects of, Le, of Leviticus, when I say we're looking at the, uh, the derivative, the, the piecemeal of the derivatives of something greater, what I'm speaking about is like, say, for example, there's a five course meal. And, you you know, you can look at every ingredient of a five course meal, each individual plate. And what we're looking at right now in Leviticus chapter two is like a piece of bread, like a little tiny piece of, you know, I don't know, whatever type of bread. There's more to the story. It's a five-course meal. There's more to it. Yes, it's, it's really good bread, but there's more to it. And, you know, the artistry of the chef is painting a larger picture. It's not like, you know, your run-of-the-mill restaurant where you go and just fill your belly. You go, and, you know, the chef is going to tell you a story through his food, through the plates, through the flavors, and maybe take you around the world you know starting from you know where your location say stay starting from you know the, the pacific northwest and then take you around the world like globe trotting through the world through plates through meals that's what i mean when i talk about the artistry of a chef and it's so beautiful because w- this aspect of the Levit- of of leviticus and the grain offering it's one aspect of something greater You say, what do you mean something greater? Well, you don't have to turn there, but in Numbers 29, verse 16, you know, it's speaking about the feasts and the feasts of booths and the tabernacle. But there's, in one verse, Numbers 29, verse 16, it mentions these offerings, the sin offering, the burnt offering, the grain offering, and the drink offering. Just in one verse, all these offerings. Right now, we're looking at these offerings in chapter You know, in chapter in in Leviticus, last week it was the burnt offering. You know, and what blows me away here is that look at the upper room. Look at that. Maybe this was glossed over in the past. But what happened in the upper room is very holy. I don't know how else to describe it. Because in that upper room, you have the drink offering. Remember, Jesus Christ says, this, this cup is the cup of my blood. You have the grain offering. You say, like, I don't get it. What is the, the grain offering? Remember, this is my body, which is given for you, which is broken for you. And then you have a burnt offering, which is Jesus Christ, the sacrifice, And then you have a sin offering, which is also Jesus Christ, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember, all these things in Leviticus, all these things in the law are symbolic, a shadow of the things to come. The makeup of that upper room, I don't have words for it, in in light of what we're learning in Leviticus, it's beyond words. I I really, uh, words escape me. The religious leaders at the time of Jesus, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they should have known. They should have known. And so right now when I say we're looking at piecemeal, like right now we're going to look at the grain offering. But in the Old Testament, God teaches holiness through sacrifice. And, you know, I kind of pause a little bit to say the Old Testament because the same exact exact thing happens today. The Lord teaches holiness through sacrifice. You say, what do you mean I don't get it? Well, don't forget the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And the main sacrifice. That's how it, our relationship with the Father is even possible. But take sacrifice a step further. What about, you know, like think about time the sacrifice of time 24 hours in a day we all have 24 hours in a day how much time is devoted to sleeping you know how much time is devoted to working how much time is devoted to you know eating and how much is given to the lord what about entertainment how much of that is given to the lord to say you know what i'm not going to watch this movie tonight I'm not going to watch this show tonight. I'm just going to turn off the TV. I'm going to sit on my couch and open up my Bible. That's what I mean when I talk about sacrifice. Time given to the Lord. And reading his word and praying and being the light, being the salt. You say, man, you, you, you might think that I'm in a work position. You know, I have a job. You might think that it's a work position, but let me tell you something different. It's a ministry. I use it at a, as a ministry. You know, some sometimes people say like, yeah, I'm going to be a doctor. It's like, cool, you want to make a lot of money? No, 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 it's not about the money. I want to help people. I want to do be the Doctors Without Borders, join this ministry, and I want to help people. I want to heal their wounds, and then I want to give them the good news. I want to tell them the gospel. It's like, whoa, okay. Or somebody that goes into the legal field. I'm going to be a lawyer. Oh, you want to make a lot of money? No, no, no. It's not about the money. Forget the money. I'm going to go and fight abortion. I'm going to do all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. I'm going to resent Christians that are being persecuted. You know the law that comes against them. I'm going to represent them. And I'm going to be like the the best legal legal ever. I'm going to represent these people. In my own representation of Jesus Christ. Oh, you're that kind of lawyer. So yeah, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Remember that. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. Very, very important to remember that. It's through these acts of sacrifice where the Lord teaches us holiness. Holiness. That's the concept of carrying our cross. So here we go. That's a little introduction to Leviticus chapter 2. Now, look at Leviticus 2, verse 1. This is what the Lord says, the word of God. Remember, the Lord is speaking to Moses in verse 1. It says, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord. Now, how this word translates, it's like a meat, a, a, a meat but it's a meat as a chunk. So it says, when, the, when anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour. So and when it says "fine flour here," it's flour as chipped and made into f- made finer." I'll give you an example of what that looks like. Say, say, for example, I'm in your kitchen, okay? and I have a bowl, and in that bowl, I pour in some cornflakes, like breakfast cereal. And inside my bowl, there's chunks of cornflakes. And then we'd have a talk for like an hour long. But the whole hour long time, I have this, I don't know what they're called, but the little uh, dowel thing. So I have the bowl in my left hand. You know, it's on the counter, but I have it, you know, holding it with my left hand. But with my right hand, I have the dowel thing. And I'm just pounding the flour. Pounding, 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 pounding. So these this, these chunks of cornflakes, you know, we're talking for an hour. After an hour, they're fine it's like powder that's what's being said here in verse one when anyone offers a grain offering it's like it's bloodless this grain offering it translates as meat in the hebrew but it's not meat it's it, it's meat but like chunk it, 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 it's a word that's also used for chunks so they're saying as a chunk it's bloodless too so and it, it's like a something chunky that's bloodless so and it says a grain offering to the lord his offering shall be of fine flour so Think of that concept of like chunky cornflakes, and it's being ground and ground and ground, and it's made into like a dust. It's very interesting to note that the grain here is the Word of God. Don't forget that the Word became flesh. The Word became flesh. Never forget that. I'm always going to make New Testament connotations to these Old Testament verses, especially when it comes to the law, because I know Satan in his voice, he's going to whisper and say, hey, look, if you want to be righteous, you got to do this. He's tricky. He's crafty. And that's how he lures people to go back into like uh, uh, um, the Hebrew roots movement. He tricks people. He takes advantage of their... A devotion to the Lord. And he'll whisper in your ear and say, Hey, you know what? You got to do this too. I say, don't do that. What's happening here in chapter 2 of Leviticus, it's symbolic. Grain is the Word of God. The Word of God. And don't forget, the Word became flesh. So what does this mean? I'll tell you from a pastor's perspective. If there's any pastors listening, Take heed to what I'm about to say. The grain is the Word of God. So what a pastor does is takes chunks of the Word of God and pounds it into finer finer grain or like a powder, something that's palatable. You know for example, you know I like to go chapters, you know like you know think of it the chunk of a chapter. And, you know, metaphysically, it's pounded down to where it's... Have you ever read a chapter and you're like, man, I don't get what this means. And then you listen to a pastor and then you listen to that the, the, the chapter, you know, that is chopped up and refined and pounded down into something more palatable. And you're like, oh, I get it now. I get it now. You know, and praise be to the Lord. And I'm not getting on a pedestal and saying, you know, like, Wow, look at there's this ability you know i i have I possess this ability. there's no pedestal. I'm the lowest form of trash there ever is. there ever was you know, and sometimes people are like why why do you say that? Well, because you know i I don't want accolades. I want zero accolades. you know if there's any accolades, give it to the Lord, give it to the Lord. I'm just a vessel. You know when you're thirsty, like in the summertime, you go on a jog I haven't jogged in a while. But you go on a jog and you come back and you're like, man, I'm thirsty. And then you take the glass of water and you put it, you know, get put ice cold water in there and you start drinking it. And like, man, that's some good, you know, water or Gatorade, whatever it is. You don't say, man, this is an awesome cup. You know, this is an awesome glass. No, you don't say that. Because what quenches your thirst what satisfies your thirst is the liquid, the water. So that's why I say, you know, I don't want any accolades. I'm just explaining what this is, you know, to, to chop down the word to where it's palatable. You know, I used to do that all the time when I was a young Christian. I read the Bible. I was like, man, I don't get what I just read. And I pray, Lord, can you help me? And it's like, wow, I don't get this. And I wonder, you know, I, I say I wonder, but, you know, I, I should have said, I wondered at the time, like, you know, Lord, how come you're not answering my prayers? But I wonder if the Lord did, already did answer my prayers and say, you know what? I'm teaching you the word, but you got to go listen to this guy. He is my vessel. He is my cup. And I'm going to give you water and I'm going to use this cup. And so my wife and I would go to our pastor in California, Southern California, and listen to him teach. And it's like, wow, I get it now, Lord I get what you say here. I wonder what happens how the Lord does that today. And if you're a pastor listening to this message, it's not to take any glory. You're just the cup. That's all you are. You're just the vessel. That's that's it. All the glory, 100% of the glory goes to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. It's all Him. But notice what happens here now in verse 1. So, you know, it's already a loaded verse, you know, verse 1. When anyone offers a grain offering to the Lord, his offering shall be of fine flour, and he shall pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. You know, you know the, the, the parable that you hear me mention quite a bit about the parable of the ten virgins. They all had oil, but five of them ran out because they were foolish virgins. But there were five wives that had oil. Oil for the lamps. You know what that is? That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Very interesting here about this oil that's mentioned. He shall pour pour oil on it and put frankincense on it. Remember Jesus Christ, how he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist baptized him. And John the Baptist was like, Lord, I'm not worthy. I, I can't, I'm not, how can this be? And the Lord tells him, this: these things have to be fulfilled. And he says, okay, I'll baptize you. And he put him down in the water. And then Jesus Christ comes up. Can you imagine John the Baptist? Like he has his hand on Jesus. Like he's supporting Jesus, the body of the like the Messiah. The one who, he, I mean, he's in the wilderness, you know, dressed up like a crazy man eating locusts. Uh, locusts and, and, you know, preparing the way of the Lord. And then all of a sudden, the very object of his mission is right, like in his hands, and he's going in the water, and he comes up in the water, and the voice, "This is my son in whom I'm well pleased." And then dove came down like the Holy Spirit. Like dove came down on him, it was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then the voice, "This is my son in whom I'm well in, in whom I'm well pleased." And so that's the end of verse one. But what about the frankincense at the end of verse one as well? Well, don't forget that Jesus Christ—he was on the receiving end of perfume. Twice. Once as a baby, remember the wise men with their frankincense, the wise men, and then also as an adult. And as an adult, that's where Judas got mad, because he was the perfume. He was his body. He was prepared for the burial. His, Prepared for his death. When you know it was poured on him, like the uh, uh, the perfume. Very interesting. You know what? So what blows me what blows me away so much is that the religious leaders, I mean, they walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. His earthly ministry was about three years long, and they heard him speak, and they heard him speak directly, and they heard him speak indirectly. People would report to them, "Oh, Jesus said this. Jesus said this. Did you hear this?" They should, they had ample time to put the puzzle together. But they didn't. They were blind. You see how loaded this is? Verse 1, we're just in verse 1. It's a loaded verse. Now let's look at verse 2. He shall bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests, one of whom shall take from it his handful of fine flour and oil with all the frankincense, and the priest shall the priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar. You know, when you consider what's happening here in these instructions that the Lord is giving to Moses, when you, um, if we were to like if we were to read Leviticus as the letter of the law, we'd be done with the book of Leviticus. But to read it in as New Covenant believers. But read it as the spirit of the law. What is the law saying? Remember Paul, when he was writing to the church in Galatia, he says, You who attempt to be justified by the law, do you not hear the law? And then he straight up spoke about Sarah and, 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 and Hagar. Do you not hear the law? That's the spirit of the law that reveals you know the, the meaning of all these things. It's not to say, "Hey, let's go back to the law and perform these It's to understand how is this fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember the grain is the word of God, and the word became flesh, very important the priests the the Pharisees when jesus christ even when Jesus Christ is like, he's carrying his cross, and you know he's hung on the cross. He's like bleeding. I wonder if there was at least one Pharisee in the crowd who in their heart of hearts started to put things together. And was like, oh my goodness, what have we done? What have I done? But they were blind. And look what happens here. The priest shall burn it as a memorial on the altar, an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. You see, remember that, you know, God's word is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. This law is fulfilled in Christ. Never, ever forget that. No matter when, you know, we're going to be reading through these Levitical books and in Deuteronomy numbers, we're going to read these. And, you know, if you ever in your heart, if you ever feel like, man, you know what, I'm going to start to apply this in my life. Something from the law. Stop yourself. Remember these words. What we're speaking about today, don't do that because it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, who's the sacrifice and also the high priest. And he's also the grain. What do you mean the grain? I don't get it. Well, the word became flesh. The word became flesh. Look at verse 3. The rest of the grain offering. Remember, the handful was taken like in in verse 2. So there's a handful of fine flour. So the rest of the grain offering in verse 3 shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Most holy. In the Hebrew, it's kodesh kodesh. It's like an extra portion of holiness. It begs the question, like, what do you mean? Extra holy. It's just a portion. It's just a remnant. It's just that the handful was, you know, at the, at the the burnt on the altar. This is just a portion. And you're saying it's Kodesh, Kodesh? You're saying there's an extra portion of holiness? Well, I'm not saying it. It's what the Word of God says. But I'll give you an example of what this means. And this is like a dream of mine. I shouldn't say a dream of mine. Well, maybe it is. So, say we have a church that's like, A thousand people, you know. And it's not a dream of mine to say like, you know, a a huge church. Nothing like that. You'll get this when I'm done saying it. So say we have a a thousand people in the church. And of these this group of thousands, there's like ten Bible teachers. Pastors, elders, women's teachers. People who teach the Bible. And this is what my dream is. To take these people, men and women, to take these people in a separate room and study the Bible. Just do a Bible like a group Bible study. That's That would bless my socks off so much. And you know, it doesn't have to be like 10. It could be like 5 or any number. But to take to take before a sermon, maybe like two weeks before a sermon, do some hardcore studies, like, straight up, like, five hours a day, and I just threw out a number arbitrarily, really, it could be, like, I'm at 20 hours in a day, I'm down, you know, at 20 hours in a day, but, you know, I understand we all have, you know, commitments and stuff, but, but, like, straight up, like, 15 hours a day, like, straight up hardcore, 18 hours a day, well, it's, like, we're going to feed on the word of God like madmen like crazy and we're going to love it. You know like you eat Thanksgiving and you're like so like at the end of Thanksgiving you sit on the couch and you're just like oh that was a good meal. You just feel so satisfied. But to have that sense in your heart, in your spirit, in deep in the marrow of what you just consumed of the word of God was just so feeling like you're oozing out of your pores it's just like you're just so blessed and then so like 2 weeks prior to a sermon to take like the inner core of bible teachers and say okay you know what i'm going to show you guys how i study and we're going to do like a group study and we're going to do meet i'll be i'll be more liberal you know we'll do 10 hours a day and so we're going to do 10 hours a day, and we're going to do it all the way till about, you know, two days prior to a sermon. And we're going to meet 10 hours a day, and we're just going to consume the Bible like mad men, you know, and mad ladies, if they, you know, for the lady Bible teachers. This is like sexless type stuff, you know, asexual entities, you know, like before, like you've heard me say before, like, you know, you're uh, non-sexual entities, like men and women together. You know, and it's like to feed on the word of God. We're going to be like mad men, mad women, just feeding on the word of God. And then you're going to hear this sermon. You're going to be in a back room. And then you're going to hear a sermon given to thousands of people. And, you know, you know, you'll come out of the back room when the sermon's done. You'll listen to people. People say, oh, that was, you know, we were blessed. We were blessed. You know, no accolades of men. You know, I'm not trying to not trying to come off like I, I want accolades. But then, you know, when everybody leaves, we're going to go back into our chambers. And I'll say, do you guys see what I mean? How the people say they were blessed. But in our own studies, in our two weeks of studies, in our two weeks of, you know, 10-hour days of studies, we were just blessed a million times more than what you heard in the sermon. And you say, I get it now. I get it now. That's what I mean when I say kodesh, 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 kodesh. Because remember verse 3, the rest of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his son's. It is most holy. It is kodesh, kodesh. There's an extra portion of blessing, an extra portion of holiness, of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. And I'm giving you a an example from a pastor's perspective But, you know, look at the disciples too. How, you know, the disciples, they walked with Jesus Christ. And then Jesus Christ died and rose again. But who did he appear to? He appeared to the disciples. He didn't appear. He didn't go to the high priest. He didn't go to the the, priests, the Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees. He didn't go to those guys. He went to the disciples for Kodesh, Kodesh, that extra portion of blessing. That's what I mean when I say Kodesh. So when I when I tell you about my my dream, you know, rewind a little bit. And you remember when I said, Oh, this is my dream? It's not the dream to have the multitudes. It's the dream to speak to an inner core of people and say, Do you get it? What I'm talking about? About the Kodesh Kodesh. That's what I'm talking about. There's and extra special. The people, yeah, the, it's God's word. The people will be blessed by God's word. Some people will be convicted. Some people will hate you. Some people will throw sticks and stones at you and walk away and say they're never going to see you again. Some people will threaten you. Some people will say, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to slice your neck. I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to put a knife in your neck. Who, who cares? You know, praise be to the Lord to live as Christ to die as game. But to go back in the inner room and see, you know, You're going to feel like, man, you know, the people, they were blessed. And, you know, but like what we got in our inner sanctuary, our inner, this small group of Bible teachers. Man, that was straight up Kodesh, Kodesh. That's what I'm talking about, the extra portion. And then remember what happened to the disciples. Jesus Christ, he returned, but he went to the disciples You know, the veil was torn top to bottom. He didn't go to the high priest. He went to the disciples and turned them into apostles by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. It's very holy things that we're discussing here as New Covenant believers feeding on Leviticus. So look at verse 4. In verse 4, it says, And if you bring as an offering A grain offering baked in the oven. It shall be unleavened cakes. No sin. Remember, leaven is a type of sin. And what the Lord is saying here, He says, hey, no unleavened cakes. of fine flour mixed with oil. Or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. Everything unleavened. No sin. No sin. That's why Paul, remember when Paul, there was the... The church in Corinth, and you know, every, everything was going fine and dandy according to them, the church in Corinth. But there were those of the household of Chloe, they wrote a letter to Paul and they said, Paul, this stuff is going on in the church. You know, I can't believe it, but this stuff is going on in the church. You know, Christians today would say, oh, yeah, Chloe was a tattletale. Chloe was gossiping, she was meddling, she was a busybody. That's what the church today would say. But you know what Paul said? He wrote a letter back to them and says, You guys, you guys gather for church, but your rejoicing isn't good. He says, You know, take this guy who's having sexual relations with his dad's wife, take this guy and kick him out of the church. Get him out of the church. He says, A little leaven leavens the bunch. That's sin. Inside the church. Now, I know we're all like you. We do have sinful aspects of our life. You know, and the Lord deals with these things. The Holy Spirit will convict. But don't forget who Paul was. Pastor, teacher, evangelist. And how he would train pastors and elders and teach them. How to oversee God's house. It's not for a pastor or an elder to say, oh yeah, go ahead. You're having sex with your dad's wife. You're having sex with this person. You're doing your drugs. You're doing your crack. Oh yeah, God is love. No big deal. Come on. Let's worship together. No, Paul says, you guys, your rejoicing isn't good. Don't do that. Take this brother and get him out of here. Because a little leaven leavens the bunch. That's what Paul says. To the new covenant church. <laughs> In the old covenant. It would be handled a little different. He says. Commit such a brother to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh. I used to wonder for the longest time. Like wow. That is hardcore. Take that brother. And commit him to Satan. For the destruction of the flesh. But then one time. I was watching a documentary. And I listened to this guy. Give an account. And he was a homosexual. Homosexual. He was a young teenager and got swayed into the homosexual lifestyle. And he was in the church. He grew up in the church. And he got kicked out of the church. And he hated the church. He hated Christians because they were so, so judgmental. They kept judging him. Hey, don't do that. Don't do that. Repent. Repent. Finally, he got kicked out. And you know what? He got, he got AIDS. And I saw his uh, uh, interview when he was like on his deathbed. He was dying HIV positive. He was dying. And he had all these sores all over his body. And he says, You know what? I should have listened to these people that were telling me to repent. You know, I thought I was being judged at the time and they were judgmental. I thought those, but they were telling me in love. He says, Now I'm a homosexual. I'm, you know, I repented. I'm a former homosexual. I'm dying of AIDS. I'm going to be dead in a month. But you know what? I've repented and I've restored. I've, I've came to Christ. And I'm not playing game. My, my month long here. He says, I want this, I want this uh, my video to go out so that I can tell people, hey, don't sin. Talk to homosexuals. Hey, repent. Get out of your homosexual lifestyle. Here, record me. Look at my ugliness. Look at all these sores on my body. Record it because I want my bodily form to testify of my mistakes. And I'm hearing this guy and I'm like weeping like a little baby. Like, oh, I love this guy. I love this guy so much because like he, here he is like at death's doorstep. And yeah, it's sad to see him go. But now that he's gone, it's like, man, I'm kind of jealous, you know. He's like in the presence of the Lord. But he wanted this recording to go out so he could warn people. Hey, get out of this lifestyle. You know, don't fall into the sexual sin of homosexuality. Don't fall into the sexual sin of lesbianism. Don't fall into the sexual sin of bestiality. What about heterosexual sin? Don't fall into that. You know, Satan, is always enticing. He always, you know, dangles something in your eyes. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a trap. It's always unleavened here in Leviticus. Leviticus verse 4. No leaven. It shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour mixed with oil. Or unleavened wafers anointed with oil. But, in verse 5, he says, If your offering is a grain offering baked in a pan, it shall be of fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering Isn't that interesting? What did Jesus Christ say in the upper room? This is my body which is broken for you You see Remember grain is the Word of God and the Word became flesh oil is inside oil is on it and what do I say consume it all consume it all and then you know at some point there's the baptism of the holy spirit you say what do you mean at some point it can be immediate but you know in our study in the book of acts you know you can't fake it with the lord so many times people say oh yeah i believe in jesus i even come to church look how awesome i am i even read my bible look i take my selfies with my bible look at my instagram look at my social media look how holy i am Look at all these highlights I have in my Bible. Look how holy I am. But then they put their phone down. And then, you know, next thing you know, nobody knows. But they got needles in their arm. They're cooking spoons. They're doing the crack, doing the sexual stuff. The Lord knows. That's why our study in Acts 8 was so powerful. Because you see, the Holy Spirit skipped over Simon. And Simon believed in Jesus. He was walking. He was among the church, amongst the church. But the Holy Spirit skipped over him, and he made it worse. Instead of repenting, he goes to Peter and says, Peter, let me buy that power from you. How much money do you want? Peter was like, what in the world are you talking about, man? Your money perish with you. Your heart is not right. You are poisoned by bitterness. Repent. The Holy Spirit skipped over this guy. So that's what I mean when I say the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's between you and the Lord. You know, we can do like water baptism, which is beautiful. You know, it's symbolic of your death. People come out of the water and it's like, wow, you're a new creation in Christ. And yeah, you're a new creation in Christ, but you know what? Grow. Let's grow together. You know, baby steps. It's not like, you know, you come out of the water and we're going to like marathon. Marathon. No, I mean we're going to come out of the water and, you know, baby steps, baby steps, milk, milk, and then little spiritual Cheerios, you know, and then the spiritual Cheerios, and then, you know, maybe, I don't know what happens next, you know, whatever comes next, you know, but the milk is first, and then the little Cheerios, and then maybe I'm jumping the gun, but I'm already thinking like pork chops, but, you know, I'm probably jumping the gun, but it's like the Holy Spirit is going to grow you. But the question is, what is your heart like before the Lord? And the Lord knows. And I don't mean to scare anybody by saying it that way. But when you think about it in terms of the eternal consequences, it is scary. So I don't want to scare you, but it is a scary aspect. It's not me that wants to do it. It's not that I want to. It's that that's the way the Lord works. I'm just the messenger. That's the way the Lord works. You know, you can believe in Jesus Christ, but at what point? You you know, where's the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's when Brother James writes about faith and obedience, faith and works. Works isn't about like, you know, doing stuff. You know, like, oh, I got to earn my way, earn my salvation. It's not about that. It's about obedience. Faith and obedience working together. Obedience to Jesus Christ. Obedience to His Word because the Word became flesh. He's the grain. You see what I'm speaking about here? So this is so powerful in verse 6. You shall break it in pieces and pour oil on it. It is a grain offering. And that upper room is such a holy moment. When he says, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Look at the makeup of what's happening. We're just now looking at the grain offering. So remember I said Piecemeal. That's just one element of a greater feast. And I'm not saying, hey, let's start doing the Feast of Weeks, Feast of Booths, Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, In no way, shape or form am I saying that. What I am saying in a metaphysical sense is let's feed on the Word of God. Let's partake of these in light of who we are as Christians. Partaking, feeding of of the grain. These sacrifices that's what I'm speaking about highly supernatural what I'm saying, highly, highly supernatural. These things cannot be discerned by the carnal man. You take a carnal man and you say he, he read Leviticus chapter two, and they read Leviticus chapter two and you say, "Tell me what it means they'll say i't I don't, I don't get it way you take something about grain, something about this that's what they will say because this is spiritually discerned and you take the chunk each, this this in the chunk of chapter 2 the chunks of each verses 16 verses and to chop it down you know i'm in your kitchen i got my bowl i got my little dowel deal and we're chopping it down chopping it down we're having a conversation laughing joking having a good old time and then i'm done prepare something and say okay here it's ready for you Eat, feed. You know? You see how beautiful this is? And I say that not as like, wow, look at me. I say that as wow, look at the Lord. Look at the Lord how He has provided. You know, it's like this, I don't get Leviticus too, but to say here, you get it now. Because it's been chopped up. Not by a vessel, by the Lord. He gets all the glory. And you know what blows me away so much? The priesthood at Jesus' days, they had three years. I mean, you know, the scriptures had to be fulfilled. But it still blows me away. Like, was there not one person, one guy, young, old, it doesn't matter, was not one who just sat back and analyzed the situation and said, hmm, I wonder. I wonder, remember riding on a donkey, the cult, the foal of a donkey. Hmm, I wonder, in light of Old Testament passages, legal books, scrolls, putting it all together and like, I wonder, could it be out? I wonder if um, Nicodemus was such a man. In John chapter 3, to go to Jesus, kind of scared because he went to Jesus at night. And they said, what do you mean born again? Jesus Christ says, unless a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Nicodemus was like, what do you mean born again? What do you mean? I'll tell you what Jesus says. Turn with me to John chapter 3. I'm flipping there with you. John chapter 3, Nicodemus in verse 9, John 3, 9, says, Nicodemus answered and said, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? That's a hardcore question. Nicodemus, you're a Pharisee. You're supposed to know these things. And Nicodemus himself was asking him, how can these things be? How can these things be? Unless a man be born again. And then Nicodemus was dumbfounded. I don't get it. And the Lord called him on it. Are you a teacher of Israel? See, the Lord has the expectation of these Pharisees. What about the Lord's expectation of you and me? And I don't mean to like, you know, point the fingers at anybody because anytime you point the finger, you always have several pointing back at you. So take note of these fingers that are pointing back at you if you point. Take the plank out from your own eye. And so many times people say, oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Okay, I get that. That's true. But what happens when you've removed the planks of your own eye? And you are able to see these things. You are able to understand. You are able to comprehend. You are able to hear. You are able to see. Will you listen to such a man? Will you listen to such a woman? Will you listen to such a boy? Will you listen to such a girl? Or is the matter you don't want to listen? So many times people say, oh, don't judge me lest you be judged. Okay, I get where you're coming from. But let me ask you something. What if I remove the speck of my own eye? What if I remove that speck so that I can see clearly to understand that the path that you're on is going to lead you straight to hell? Do you still hate me when I'm trying to, you know, prevent that from happening? It's not, I'm not saying these things to, you know, point the finger. And say, what about, you know, the Lord's expectation of you? What about the Lord's expectation of me? I'm trying to say, you know what? What about the Lord's expectation? Look at what he said to Nicodemus. Are you not a teacher of Israel? What about, have you ever talked to people? Yeah, I've been in the church for, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I've been a Christian for 50 years, my entire life. And then you talk to them about spiritual things and they don't understand a lick of it. They don't understand any of it. And you're like, I don't want to say it's shameful. I don't know if there's another word for shameful, but like not as hardcore. But it is kind of shameful a little bit because it's like, wow, you've been a Christian for 50 years and you're still on milk. You've been a Christian for 50 years and you're just, you can barely even eat Cheerios. You're still wearing diapers. You're still a little baby. And I don't say that to shame anybody. But put that in a natural sense. You know, I'm pushing 50. I'm like low 40s, I forget. But it feels like I'm pushing 80. And if we were to see each other face to face. And here I am with a, a bottle in my mouth. Wearing diapers, big puffy pants. And he's like, what is that? It's squishy. It's like I'm wearing diapers. That's disgusting. Shameful. What about with our faith? What about with our walk with Christ? Now, I'm not trying to say, like, you know, how dare you, how dare you, how shameful, how shameful. What I'm trying to say is, hey, let's get off the milk. Let's move on. You've been in kindergarten for a long time. You've been in preschool for long enough. Let's go to first grade. See what the Lord has for us. Let's go to second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade. And see what the Lord has for us. I say this as lovingly as I can. But let's matriculate. Let's grow in Christ. So look at what happens here. In verse 7 now. Still in Leviticus 2. Verse 7, if your offering is a grain offering baked in a covered pan, it shall be made of fine flour with oil. I love this. You see these uh, uh, little additives of oil. Very powerful in terms of the Holy Spirit. The additives of the Holy Spirit in your life. It says in verse 8, you shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. If you're a pastor listening to this message, always, anybody's offering, it's always to the Lord. It's not to you. It's not to you. You know, our pastor in California gave us an account one time. He was with this group of pastors. They were meeting in a specific, like a, a fellowship hall. And they were meeting there. And then one guy was going through the offering, like the offering of the what was given. And I guess somebody put like a gold medallion, like a gold chain, like a medallion. And the guy, this pastor, takes it out of the basket, puts it around his neck. And it's like, you know, I, I don't know where it came from. You know, the pastor doesn't know where it came from. But he puts it around his neck and he says, the Lord has provided. And our pastor in California, he was violent back in the day. You know, He was he's kind of, you know, he, he has a violent tendency. He reminds me, you know, of certain violent people. And he said he had to leave the room. He had to leave the room because he was so mad. He just wanted to destroy that guy right there. But he had to leave the room. Because he has violent issues with anger. And I love that so much. It's so cool to see. It's so cool to see humanity in these people. Godly people that I love and adore. Because, you know, we do have an element of humanity. But how do we deal with it as Christians? You know, it's like if you have violent tendencies, you know, you have to leave the place. You have to extricate yourself from certain environments. You know, if, you know, you, you, if you are politically active and say you don't like liberals, you know, don't talk politics with anybody. And say you're a liberal and you don't like conservatives, repent. <laughs> so, you know, you, you read the Bible. I don't, you can't be a liberal and read the Bible, you know, because the Bible teaches about abortion. You know, the Bible says, hey, it's not good. I mean, the Bible does teach about abortion in terms of Molech. You know, so that's a different... That's an idol. Baby killers. You know how people would sacrifice their babies to Molech. So it's like, you know, if if you have political tendencies and they make you angry, don't talk politics with people. You know, don't talk about certain subjects. If you, like, have sexual sin, you can't be in certain environments. That's just... That's the cross you have to carry. You know, say you were exposed to some major sexual stuff and, you know, as a teenager, you know, maybe you were uh, victimized. But it has harmed you. And as an adult, you know, it's like you got to be very careful where you enter the people that you interact with. That's part of our human nature. And I, you know, I, I, I wish... This aspect of victimization can be removed, but that's fallen man. That's fallen man, indicative of a world that needs Jesus Christ. So many times people say, you know, if if God is so good, why did he allow Hitler? Why did he allow me to be raped? Have you talked with an adult before? An adult that looks put together, everything, you're sitting on a bench, and you just talk, and the guy opens up to you, or a lady opens up to you and tells you about her gang rape when she was raped as a teenager. It's like, oh, man, you know, she's like, she's calming me down, you know, she has to hand me handkerchiefs and, and Kleenex because I'm crying. It's to say, I wish this never happened in your life. Never happened. And they say, oh yeah, I went to this church and they told me that God ordained that. God didn't ordain that. We're not robots. This is part of the human condition. You were a victim of somebody's stupid choices. You were a victim. But that's not what God ever wanted. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ. He's a comforter. He's a healer. He can heal you of your hurt. He can heal you of your pain. you talk to these adults they just like they look like they're put together they talk like they're put together but then they'd start to open up to you they start to reveal these things oh yeah you know what I was in the youth church or youth uh, youth ministry and the youth leader he molested me he touched me he did these things you know you talk to a lady oh yeah I was gang raped as a teenager I was at a party and this happened. Another lady comes to you, is like, oh yeah, this pastor, you know, he propositioned me for sex. It's like, man. I wish this never happened. It's not the Lord, it's not the hand of God. Don't blame God for the hand of man. He loves you. God loves you. He doesn't want you to experience this hurt. He doesn't want you to experience this pain. That's why he that's why he sent his son. To die on a cross, to take this sin. To take this sin. Well, you know, you're telling me all these good things, but the the pastor did this to me. You're telling me all these good things, but the youth leader did this to me. That's not a youth leader, my friend. That's not a pastor. That's a wolf. That's a predator. A real pastor would have killed this guy, metaphysically speaking. A real pastor. Would have said, you don't belong here. That's what a real pastor would have said. Get out of here. I'm the one that's going to call the police. Or, you know, not even that. This isn't going to happen. This isn't even going to happen. To see a little too much touchy-feely in the youth ministry. A real pastor would have said, cut it out. If it kept on happening... A real pastor would have said, get the heck out of here. You can't be a pastor. You can't be a youth leader. You're a wolf. A real pastor would have committed such a person to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. But no, because a fake pastor, a faux pastor did not do that. A faux shepherd failed in his responsibility, his duty before the Lord to do that. Look at the victims. Look at the shattered lives, look at the shattered marriages, look at the poor witnesses. That's man, that's the hand of man. That's Satan throwing throwing a wrench. You see? So when I say these things, I know sometimes they're abrasive. I don't want to come off that way. That's what I love so much about this day that we live in. This day that we live in, it's so harsh and abrasive itself. I can like, I can fit in. <laughs> you know, people used to tell me, "Oh, I don't like how you say this." You know, that's too mean spirited. You just shouldn't say it like that. Then I go to their house. They're watching a movie, and it's like, that's like ten times worse than what I say. And here you are at the couch, all watching it. So what's what's your problem? You know, for such a time as this, what do I say? Repent. Repent. If you're playing games with the Lord, repent. If you've been hurt by so-called Christians. It's a shameful thing that was done. Whatever it was. You say, what do you mean, whatever it was? Is that like a blanket statement? I don't want it to be a blanket statement. But I've talked with plenty of people who've been hurt by the church. A lot of sexual hurt. A lot of sexual hurt. A lot of pain caused by drugs and alcohol. Drugs, alcohol, and sex. Those are the biggies. I wish I could apologize on their behalf, but I can't. All I can say is God loves you. He didn't want this to happen. I'm not a Calvinist. I'm not reformed theology. God didn't predestine this to happen. Things were set in motion long ago and he didn't create robots. And you have a fallen man who made a decision, a fallen woman who made a decision and you're the victim of it. Let's to say no, let's follow Jesus. Let's not follow men. Let's follow Jesus. Hold my hand and on to Zion. Just like I say to the body. All the time, you know, when we have our face-to-face meetings, we're going to Zion. So look here in verse 8. You shall bring the grain offering that is made of these things to the Lord. All the offerings, always to the Lord. And when it is presented to the priest, he shall bring it to the altar then the priest shall take from the grain offering a memorial portion. You know, I love the verbiage here. Because do you remember the angel of the Lord that went to the house of Cornelius? And Cornelius, who was a beautiful, beautiful man, and wasn't even a Christian. But he was still a beautiful man because he was a God-fearing man. And the angel of the Lord told him, Hey, Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come before the Lord as a memorial I, I love these things because you read that and it's so, so impactful what happened to Cornelius in the house of Cornelius. And then here we are in Leviticus, verse 9, chapter 2, and it's like, wow, a memorial portion. It's like, why wow, you start to understand certain vernacular, holy vernacular. <clears throat> so, he says... Uh, A memorial portion and burn it on the altar. It is an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. Here it is again. Kodesh, Kodesh. I could explain that more, but I already have. Kodesh, Kodesh. My little... uh, small room of Bible teachers to say, man, this is some heavy, heavy Kodesh, Kodesh. Yet yeah, the body, you know, they got Kodesh. The congregation, they were Kodeshed, you know, but us Bible teachers, the people of like, um, people who grind grain, Kodesh, Kodesh. You know, not taking any accolades, but it's like, wow, that's, you know, get this concept in your mind. You say, well, yeah, I'm never going to be a pastor. Well, if you're like a, a leader in a home, like a dad or a father, husband, you know, you do, you know, you have certain responsibilities, biblical responsibilities. You know, what about if you're a mom teaching your kids? You have biblical responsibilities to teach your kids so your kids can have Kodesh, but you're going to have Kodesh Kodesh. You see, that's what I'm talking about. There's a a special portion for the ones who take the grain and chop it up and feed it. And so, you know, it's in verse 10 says, And what is left of the grain offering shall be Aaron's and his sons. It is most holy of the offerings to the Lord made by fire. So, you know, there is... In, in 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 today's connotation in today's application you know there is you know the financial survival of a church and pastors is literally quite literally from the offerings you know that are given to the Lord, but remember it's the smaller portion the larger portion is for the Lord. It's burnt, the larger portion. It's the smaller portion. It's the remnant that is for the priesthood, for the pastors. You know, the uh, financial survival. You know, pastors have it turned around sometimes. You know, they have these these uh, 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 people give, and then they're like, wow, I'm going to go buy my mansion now. People give to the Lord, and they say, wow, I'm going to go buy my new car. People give to the Lord and say, wow, I'm going go to say, wow, I'm gonna go buy my jet, private jet. People give to the Lord. They say, well, I'm going to go buy my new beach house. The Lord has provided. No, it doesn't work that way. The larger portion is burnt. It's an offering to the Lord. It's the smaller portion. But you know what I love so much about Paul? Is that Paul denied his rights. As a pastor, as a pastor, teacher, evangelist, he denied his rights. He told the church, It's like, look, I can take money from you, but I don't want to. I don't want your money. He says, I want your souls to give it to the Lord. I'm doing this for freely I've received, freely I give. That's what I love about Paul. He denied his rights. Denied his rights to the people's financial support. He says, I don't want your money, you guys. You keep your money. And so look what happens here in verse 11. No grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven. Remember, leaven is sin. Symbolic for sin shall be made with uh, uh, no grain offering which you bring to the Lord shall be made with leaven for you shall burn no leaven nor any honey in any offering to the Lord made by fire. Now, uh, there's something I want you to remember when it comes to the topic of honey. There's a certain dichotomy to the word honey and I'll give you an example of what I mean. The name Jesus Think of the name of Jesus Christ, just Jesus, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. Do you know how sweet that name is? I mean, we sing the song sometimes, your name is like honey to my lips. And that doesn't even do his name justice. I love, it's like, and I love honey too. I got some in my tea with me right now. But his name is like sweeter than, I can't, I can't describe it. But if I'm in sin, say I beat on my wife, I cheat on my wife, I got the needles, the drugs, the alcohol, the sex, the whole nine yards. Do you know how terrifying the name Jesus will be? It will be terrifying. If that ever happens, I can never be a pastor. It's never going to happen. You know, I've there, there's... Enough sin in my past to have tasted of the world to say, never again, I'm not going down that walk. I've learned my lesson. My shackles are to Jesus Christ. So when I say these things, I speak metaphysically, metaphorically, I should say. To give you an example, because I don't want to use people. I could use people. I got to think of a name. So say there's a guy, you know, who loves Jesus so much. And then he commits all kinds of crazy sin, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. And at one point in his life, the name Jesus was honey to his lips. And at the next moment in his life, the name Jesus, it's the scariest thing. It's so terrifying to him. That's what I mean when I say the dichotomy of honey. The dual nature, the duality. Same thing with milk. Same thing with milk milk which is life-giving but remember what we read a couple chapters ago actually several chapters ago don't 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 uh, kill the baby don't don't boil the baby in a mother's milk don't don't boil a a, a baby goat in its mother's milk don't use it as a tool for harm we're going to see these aspects when the lord brings the people the children of israel To a land of milk and honey. You're going to see these dualities take a major, major turn. Because you're going to see beautiful, beautiful Israel. And then something happens with disobedience. The milk starts to boil. The honey starts to be painful. That's what I mean when I say duality. The same thing in the life of a Christian. They're on fire for the Lord. They love the Lord. All of a sudden, they're on crack. They got the meth. They got needles in their arm. They're cooking spoons like crazy. They're doing all kinds of sexual stuff. Prostitutes, pornography, the whole nine yards. What does the name Jesus Christ mean to that person? It's terrifying. Terrifying the name of Jesus Christ to that individual. And I pray that the Lord brings that person to their knees. That's what's so cool about being in the pit. The only place you can do, the only thing you can do is look up. When you're in the pit, I've been in the pit. The only place you can look is up. But the name Jesus Christ can be honey or it can be so terrifying. The matter is you. That's what the question is. You. Just like the day of the Lord. I mean, you read like, uh, the book of Joel, Joel, you know, Yahweh is God. You read these minor prophets, it speaks about the day of the Lord being terrifying. Then you read Peter's books, Peter's writings. So the day of the Lord is beautiful. So you talk to Christians sometimes, even pastors, and say, oh, they come up with this big, wild scheme of things. No, it's the question is you. The day of the Lord can be the most beautiful thing ever. Or, it can be terrifying. The question is you and your heart before the Lord. Do you have the blood of Jesus Christ over the doorpost of your heart? If the answer is no, repent. Repent while there is still time. Yeah, we've, you know, we've had a lot of time thus far. But while there is still time, repent. You know, be alive in Christ. Put down the crack. Put down the drugs. Put down the whatever it is that's keeping you from the Lord. Put it down. Give it up. That's what I mean when I speak about this duality of milk and honey. And we're going to see it hardcore when we get into, uh, after Joshua, kind of like... The the last part of Joshua, and then we're going to see this milk and honey take a twist. You're going to see it like hardcore. Hardcore. Verse 12. As for the offering of the first fruits, you shall offer them to the Lord, but they shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. So the first fruits, this offering of the first fruits, they are. Protected from the fire. And I'll explain that more in a couple more verses. Keep that in mind. They shall not be burned on the altar for a sweet aroma. Verse 13. And every offering of your grain offering you shall season with salt. Does this ring a bell? To season with salt. Understanding that grain is the word of God. What is salt? Remember Jesus Christ. You are the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Those are His words. It's the unity of the two. The Word of God inside the salt. You are the salt. It's the two working together. And then also the salt in the Word. You see? You shall season with salt. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. Now, if you have a highlighter, very rarely do I mention this. But if you have a highlighter... Highlight this part in verse 13. You shall not allow the salt of the covenant of your God to be lacking from your grain offering. Highlight that. What does the church today look like? Where is the marriage of the grain and the salt? That's what I want to know. Where is the marriage with the grain and the salt? Where is the salt sitting in the pews being given grain? Finally, you know, finely pounded grain. Where, is, where does that happen? Or does a air quote pastor tell jokes at the pulpit? Tell jokes at the pulpit. Read 20 minutes from some book. Download a sermon from the internet. That's not grain being married to the salt. And the Lord says here, don't allow the salt of the covenant to be lacking from your grain offering. The two have to be married. Yes, I say married on purpose. Because it's deep. The two becoming one. Salt and the grain. Grain and the salt. The two becoming one. With all your offerings, you shall offer salt. Remember, Jesus Christ says you are the salt of the earth. The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, they should have heard these words of Jesus Christ. Put things together. But they were blind, they were deaf. Remember, Jesus Christ told them in Matthew 23, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You know, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Look at all the woes in chapter 23 of Matthew. You know, straight up, you guys are whitewashed tombs. You guys are dead. You guys are white. You look like you're clean as white, but you guys are dead. And they fell into a ditch along with those who followed them. And you know what? The exact same thing is happening today. The exact same thing. And it's sad. It's terribly sad. It kills me. I can't describe to you how much it kills me. I hate it with a passion. But what do you expect? What do you expect when you have these pastors at pulpits who tell jokes to their people, to God's people? Flocks that are in their congregation, but they belong to the Lord. So you have salt in the pews, they're not given grain. And what happens to the salt? It loses its flavor. You see? And yeah, you have salt in the pews. You give the grain. Some some people won't like it. They'll leave. They'll go elsewhere. That's not, that's between them and the Lord. If you're a pastor listening to this message, you have no control over that. You have zero control over that. Give grain to the salt. Give finely chopped up grain, finely grind, grounded, grind, grind. Uh, English is my second language. I don't know how to say it. But finely pounded grain, chunky grain, that's now fine powder. And give it to the flock. Give it to God's people. And then you have your, you know, co-pastors, elders. You have a special portion for you. You have Kodesh Kodesh for you. You see, it's the marriage of the salt and the grain. In verse 14. If you offer a grain offering of your first fruits to the Lord, you shall offer the grain offering of your first fruits. First fruits. Green heads of grain roasted on the fire. Grain beaten from full heads. This is so beautiful. I love this so much. Okay, so you have... At the harvest time, yellow wheat. I mean, you've seen it. You've seen like wheat fields. And in the you know, the harvest time, it's like yellow, you know, like not bright yellow, kind of like a brownish, like it's red. Like you see, it's like practically falling off the stem, you know. And so you see it. But that's at the collecting of the harvest time. The Bible says here, the green. It says green heads of grain. You look at it and you're like, well, it doesn't make sense. How can you harvest from a green field? a gre- You know, green wheat field. It's it's not ready. It doesn't make sense. But in Matthew 13, the Lord teaches a parable about the wheat and the tares. Remember the parable? There's the, the, the uh, Satan comes in and plants weeds in the field. And the servants go to the master and they say, Master, do you want us to pull the weeds out? And the master says, no, 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 no. Don't pull the weeds out. Let the two grow together, and you know, at harvest, we'll take care of it. At harvest, the two have to grow together until the harvest. Because if you pull them out, you're going to uproot the wheat. But let the two grow together until the harvest. Very interesting. You say, but wait a second. This says green in verse 14. It specifically mentions green. Well, don't forget. That Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. The first fruit of the resurrection. In accordance with 1 Corinthians 15. There's more to be harvested. What's green is the first. But remember, at the time of the harvest, there's going to be more. Jesus Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. There's more coming. You see how powerful this is? When Jesus Christ was speaking to the multitudes, even when He was speaking to smaller groups of people, the disciples and, you know, there'd be little uh, uh, specklings of uh, Pharisees on the sidelines, the legal team, the lawyers, the scribes, the Sadducees. They should have heard these things, these people who supposedly knew the law, They should have known these things, put them together, but they were blind and deaf. Blind and deaf. They couldn't discern Jesus Christ. Remember when he was speaking to Nicodemus, what we read in John 3? He says, "You're, you're a teacher? You're supposed to teach Israel? And you're asking me? You know the responsibility that the Lord had on Nicodemus? And so look at what happens here in verse 15. And you shall put oil on it, which is the Holy Spirit, and lay frankincense. Remember Jesus Christ? He had his perfume before burial or before his death. What about your death? What about my death? As we carry our cross. And I don't mean perfume as like, you know, like, hey, look at me, look at me, look at my perfume, look at, you know... You see people like this. They want to look, you know, taking their little uh, uh, social media pictures. You know, look how holy I am with my Bible. Or they'll tell their friend, here, look, get a tripod, put your camera on it, and videotape me doing something nice to the homeless person. They videotape me, you know, helping an old lady across the street. You know, here, how does my hair look? Do I look okay? How do my skinny jeans look? Do I look cool? And then they, they hit record and they do it. It's all for show. What about when your audience is Jesus Christ and Him alone? You could care less what people think about you. Even when you're on the receiving end of mockery, people make fun of you. You're so stupid. You're such a legalist. You want to follow the Bible? You're such a legalist. You know, my pastor, he doesn't give me grain. My pastor tells me jokes. Well, if your pastor's not giving you, giving you grain, do you think you're salt? Tell that to a person. When the person says, oh, you're a legalist, you're a legalist. You should come to my church. You know, tell them. If your pastor's giving you grain, if, if your pastor's not giving you grain, do you really think you're salt? And they'll say, what do you mean? You say, Exactly. Exactly. No, Jesus Christ says, you are the salt of the earth. There's a marriage with salt and grain. It's very deep. The two becoming one. It's supernatural. The things I say cannot be received by the carnal mind. It's highly supernatural. You know, if you're listening to this message and you don't know Jesus Christ, you haven't walked with him, or maybe you're playing games with him, And you're understanding what I'm saying. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. That's the Holy Spirit that's saying, hey, you know, cut out your lifestyle. Get right with the Lord. Get right with me. Get right with Jesus Christ. That's the Holy Spirit that's convicting you. That's helping you. Remember, He's the helper. He's helping you understand these things. And so look what happens here. It is a grain offering, (laughs) the last part of verse 15. Remember, Jesus Christ is the first fruits, the first fruit of the resurrection. We, you, me, we are partakers, partakers of, you know, uh, uh, the same, the same thing applies to you and me. So, like verse 15, when it says, you shall put oil in it and, and lay frankincense, you know, that's a hardcore question when you think, you know, what about your death? I mean, ask yourself that question. What about my death? What about the cross that's on my back? Is there even a cross on my back? And I'm not trying to advocate anything, you know, like ridiculous. Listen to the Lord. You know, don't, you know, be a missionary in, you know, Sudan. You know, or, you know if the Lord's calling you there, then go. But always keep this, in, you know, in mind. In your walk with the Lord, always keep it on your mind. We're, we're on our way. I mean, we're going to have our physical death one day. The Lord knows the number of our days. But what about our spiritual death? You know, that's a choice. Just like we talked about last week about the sacrifice of self, the offering of self, the offering of the, the admitting of death to self. You say, man, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. And I've never put it in those terms, though that context. I've never thought of it like that. Well, think of it like that now. It's this concept of death. Dying to self. And being alive in Christ. It's not just dying, like, you know, jumping off a bridge. I'm not advocating suicide. What I am advocating is taking off, reckoning the old man dead, reckoning the old woman dead, and putting on Christ, and being alive in Christ, as Paul teaches in the book of uh, Romans. To be alive in Christ. You know how many people, Christians in the church, say, yeah, I'm alive in Christ, but they're basket cases. And I don't mean to, like, make fun of anybody, but they're just basket cake. they oh, the Lord told me this. Oh, and the next week, the Lord told me this. And the next week, oh, the Lord told me this. It's like, man, who are you listening to? That's so pretty wishy-washy. You're being tossed to and fro. It's to say, no, you know what? Listen to the Lord Jesus Christ, His Word, and what He has to say. And you know what? You're rocking boat. It won't be rocking anymore. You're going to have still waters. You're going to have green pastures, as the Lord says in His Word. And you know what? People will make fun of you. People will try to kill you. People will try to do all the chop off your head. And you're still going to have still waters and green pastures. You know why? Because to live is, is Christ and to die is gain. Beautiful in His eyes is the death of His saints. You're not going to be afraid of death. It's like you're not afraid. Oh, death, where's your sting? So many people are basket cases in the church today. And it's sad to witness. It's sad to see. And I, I'm not, you know, if that's you, if you're listening to this message and that's you, I'm not trying to say, like, you know, like, man, look what a basket case you are. I'm trying to say, you know, get out of the basket. You know, you lean on the Lord. Remember, the, the, the Lord's promise is, you know, uh, 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 my yoke is easy and my burden is light, is to consume Him. Reckon the old man dead. Reckon the old woman dead. You know, if you're a basket case, get out of that basket. Who put you in that basket? Don't listen to the voice that has you in that basket. You know, that's a lie from the pit of hell. If you call it an angel, if you call it the Lord, no, it's a demon. You listen to, remember, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. We have to test the spirits. It's called biblical discernment. Get out of that dumb basket and be alive in Christ. Don't be tossed to and fro. Don't be a basket case anymore. Be alive in Christ. Be a fighter. Be a warrior. And so look what happens here. You shall put oil on it and lay frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. Then the priest shall burn the memorial portion. That's Jesus. The memorial portion. That's Jesus. The cross. Remember the priest? You know, crucify him. When Pontius Pilate, you know... who do you want? I have Barabbas here and I have Jesus. Which one do you want? Give us Barabbas. What do I do with him? Crucify him. The memorial portion burned by the priests. Jesus Christ, Son of the Most High God, high priest in the order of Melchizedek. The sacrifice, the lamb. And also the grain. Part of its beaten grain and part of its oil with all the frankincense as an offering made by fire to the Lord. This is powerful stuff, you guys. Powerful, powerful stuff. As new covenant believers. And my prayer is that as we go through these Levitical books... My prayer is that, you know, it points us into a deeper, deeper, deeper relationship to the fulfillment of the law. And I speak of Jesus Christ. I love you guys. I love you guys. I pray for you guys. You know, and, uh, you know, this whole, uh, this um, stay-at-home order, it's going to end soon, you know. And so uh, hopefully it'll end soon. But uh, until then, we'll just continue. Uh, fight the fight. Uh, fight the good fight. And uh, we'll see you guys uh on the other side. God bless you.